America. My name is Ami Osei-Frimpong. I come to you live every Friday, Thursday at about this time. And, you know, yesterday I did a first draft of a rather large paper on um, critical race theory, Hegel, and the metaphysics of judicial capture. You know, when you're talking about an institution that gets captured by another institution, you have to have a pretty rich conception of what it means to be like separate institutions and what for one to be other than the other and still uh, influence the other and possibly capture the other. So um, just making sure everything is right. So yeah, so I wrote that paper. I think it's a pretty good paper. And I felt relieved after I finished. And so I had a you know full night's sleep for the first time in quite a while. Then, you know, I I started reading Dope Sick, the uh, Beth Macy book. I I saw, I binge watched the the Hulu series, and um I thought it was so good that I, I got the book. So I got the book. It, it came yesterday and I started reading it this morning. I'm already on page 50. It's, it's fascinating. So we're going to talk about what addiction has taught me about racism. And first of all, you have to know about heroin addiction. It's not about the euphoria that, that the drug causes as much as it's about the cravings and the withdrawal that the apps, the drug changes your brain such that when you don't have it, you are all you can think about is getting more. Right. So that is, uh, I think it's an important distinction that people think that people do the drugs because it makes them feel a certain way. That's both true, but they do the drug. The addiction part with uh, opioids is that when you don't do the drug, it makes you feel a certain way. Right. So it's not so much the high as much as it's avoiding the low. I wonder why people haven't filed in so much. You should come and watch my show. All right, so it's not so much the high, it's about avoiding the low. And what does that, yes, I have read, I, I, you know, I read the compensatory, uh, Neely Fuller's book. Um, I read it a long time ago. I didn't read it all. I, I think I read patches of it. I've been lost since now. Someone asked if I read Neely Fuller's book. Yeah, um, you know, I read the section, I remember a section where he talks about, I mean, it's all about white supremacy, but it's, it's um, uh, if you don't understand white supremacy, how it works, and you, everything else you think you know about American life is actually there to confuse you. You're just confused. All right, so addiction. The idea isn't that addiction makes you feel good, taking a drug makes you feel good. It's that its absence um, is unbearable, right? It changes your chemistry so that the absence is unbearable. And I think the first analog you could use to describe American racism is that there are only so many people who get like a real charge out of being white supremacist. They like, you know, maybe the guys over at, at, at uh, who on 1-6 who stormed the Capitol, they really like it. But most white supremacists are white supremacists because they're terrified of being treated like us. They're terrified of being treated like the national word, the N-word. They don't want to be treated like that. So they're white supremacists that way. So it's not, and so I think it's actually important to distinguish. Now, functionally, these people are the same. Like, in terms of, it doesn't matter if the uh, dope fiend is doing it for the pleasure of the high or the dope fiend is doing it to avoid the craving. Um, uh, they're still breaking into my house and trying to steal my shit, right? So, like, for their fix, right? So it's not, it's, it doesn't really matter. It, 
in some ways it doesn't matter. They're both dope fiends who are a problem. <laughs> but I, I think it's an important analytic distinction between those who do it for the thrill of it and then those who do it because they're terrified of what the of like of the alternative. And because the alternative is uh, unmanageable. Right? So you are you trying to get high or are you trying to to get the cravings gone? Right? So we need to find kind of the public policy um equivalent of methadone uh, um, uh, to 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 get to, to get the white supremacists who who are scared of being treated like negroes and um and uh off the off the stuff <laughs> off the stuff because as uh, so i think that's i think that's that's an interesting analog another thing that's interesting about the addiction of the the pills is that they came from doctors, right? It's called itrogenesis. Itrogenesis. I want to keep putting a po on that, but that's that's not right. Itrogenesis. Itros is a uh, it's 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 Greek for doctor, so it's pretty much medical induced genesis. So Arthur Sackler, what he did when he was um uh, uh, one of the Sackler brothers who was the head of Purdue Pharma, Purdue Pharma, what he did in the 60s with Valium was he was like, we don't have to, you know, going to the customers isn't bad. We should market to the doctors. And if we market to the doctors, we could do great. We, we would sell a lot of pills. And so he like put a lot of money into marketing to doctors and, and introduced that model and sold a lot of Valium. And so now like, and so that's, so if you market to doctors, you could distort their prescribing habits. And if you distort their prescribing habits, it turns out that they'll, they will, um, uh, you know, cause addictions. And the addictions will be caused by doing exactly what the doctors tell you to do. So what does that mean for us moderns, right? So for us moderns, we have to understand that life is very specialized. I don't know how to do a lot of things. I, I, and I, it's good that I don't know how to do a lot of things because the things I know how to do, I do rather well, but I don't know how to do a lot of things. So I have to trust other people to do things for me. I have to trust a mechanic to, to fix my car. I have to trust the plumber to plumb things. I mean, I can do all these, but not really well, not well enough to, to sustain the quality of stuff I have. Right. So like I, we go to professionals who are skilled, but then we find ourselves beholden to those professionals. Um, and so that's the same thing with health, right? So the doctor gives you this pill and then you find yourself doing what the doctor says because the doctor is the one who gave you the pill and you're beholden to their advice because you can't know everything about everything. You're busy. And then before you know it, you're addicted to the pill. All because you followed the doctor's order. And that, there's a way in which that figures into how we understand white supremacy because there are no small number of people who do what they do because the expert told them to do. They have to get a house in this neighborhood. They have to be scared of that person. They have to, um, they've been taught uh, to listen to the experts, but the experts are make their money from like furthering white supremacy. So you listen to the real estate experts about what schools districts are good. Right. So that's uh, like that's one example of that. That'll just end in white supremacy. Right. So you listen, um, you listen to experts who themselves have been uh, and you want to do what you want to do what's best for your kids. Let's be honest. A lot of parents don't know what it means to be a good parent. And so they are scared of screwing it up. And so they'll listen to someone who seems like they know what to do 
uh, like enraging their kids about what it means to be a good school and they don't want to be responsible for screwing up their kids so they'll do it and that's the same with like people just taking medication they'll do what their doctor tells them to do because they don't want to be responsible for killing themselves and um and that's how you get an uh, expert-driven, and depending on who, an expert-driven uh, epidemic. It was driven by doctors. And depending on who you talk to, the financial crisis in 2008 was a lot of economists with PhDs, other kind of doctors saying that this is great, these incentives are fine, it's not gonna be that big of a deal. And it turns out that all of those doctors led us to a financial cliff. So what does it mean that the experts that the experts are, are the ones who will lead us to addiction, that like, they will not have responsibility for solving themselves. Right? So uh, that's all of the people in the, the bail bondsmen, all of the people who make money off of American racism and then do not have to actually deal with the after effects of American racism. Um, so we have a nation that's kind of been made addicted by listening to experts on anti-black racism. We've like, they've organized their lives such that it depends on the steady degradation of black people. And they do so not because they're necessarily bad, but because the experts told them that this is what a good school means like. This is what a good spouse means like. This is what it is to raise your kids. This is what a good job means. A good job that includes treating black people like trash is still a good job because the expert told you that a good job is tied to money, not like a quality of life. Uh, I mean, a quality of like, you know, doing justice, right? So you have to consider that listening to experts in this America will just reproduce all of these political experts will tell you, well, don't talk about black issues. Um, if you want, uh, you know, job hunting experts will say like, don't run a podcast where you tell the truth about white supremacy if you want a job. And yet here I am doing it. And by the way, if you support me doing it, which I think you should, because the experts tell people not to do this, if they actually want to, uh, live a good life in America, I think I have to do this in order to live a good life in America, which means a life that's consistent with making sure that you don't squander yours. Go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in. Five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month to keep me doing it the way I do it. Because if I'm beholden to you, I will tell the truth. I'm emancipated. You're making me a free Negro. You know, they. This is. You are my forty acres and a mule. Um, they they have this notion that you can be free in America, but still uh, not be secured any sort of economic stability. Like you can be free in America, but not be secured a job. And that's just not the case, right? So a lot of people are not free in America because they do awful things to black people for money or they keep their mouth shut um, about the awful things that are done because they want to keep the money coming in. Now I get paid to not keep my mouth shut and actually tell the truth every Thursday about this time about, you know, your life and how you might be screwing it up. And I do not want you to squander it. And I want all of us to be free and, uh, you know, cause I'm not free until all of us are free. So if you want to support my freedom and then you get your freedom back through my freedom, uh, because I, you know, give a quality of emancipatory rhetoric, then go to www.funkyacademic.com or go to my Patreon and kick in five, 15 or $50 a month. All that information's in the description of the video. 
But now let's talk about what addiction can teach us about white supremacy, right? So it's not so much the euphoria, uh, but of doing it, but the fear, the abject fear of uh, the aversion to the withdrawal, right? And that's what drive, drives the opioid epidemic. It's not the euphoria, but it's that the cravings are so bad. Right, so we play on that anxiety with respect to parents and all of that stuff. Not just parents, but workers and people in schools and all of our meaningful institutions. That they don't feel good when they treat people like garbage, but they're terrified about their life. <laughs> if they're either confused for black <laughs> or, um, or would jeopardize their friendship. So you don't need that many racists if everybody else is terrified of being treated like the way the racists treat you know, uh, black people, right? So that I think is a pretty in, like, nice insight about what addiction can teach us about racism. It's not that people are addicted to racism for the positive, it's that they are addicted to racism for the negative. But like I said, it doesn't matter if the crack at, if the, um, if the fiend, dope fiend is uh, breaking into my house because they want the high of the high, or they're breaking into my house because they're craving um, and they just want to get normal. They're still breaking into my house and it's still a problem. That's how black people need to deal with white people's addiction to racism. There's a way in which it doesn't matter why they're addicted. We just have to be able to name that they are addicted and they're a problem for our freedom. Um, and then redistribute the structures of the addiction. So, you know, I saw the miniseries Dope Sick and, and now I'm reading the book. And it, what's really interesting is the way these guys got to prescribe what it means to be what pain means what it pain what pain means and that's fascinating because at one point in time they try to do the same thing in germany but germany like kicks them out and and like the culture just doesn't accept uh oxycontin uh, oxycontin as as the remedy for their pain because they have a different relationship with pain pain might be just part of what it is to part of the healing process pain can mean different things and so the idea that pain is just an illness simplicity or without qualification is ridiculous there could be good pain and there could be bad pain but with oxycontin they wanted it they wanted to prescribe it for all pain all pain all chronic pain which means you're just on it all the time you're always a little bit high and you'll be confused and whatever but it won't matter uh, because pain is the illness and that is just it's a bereft culture that allowed um, you know, medical marketing to kind of overdetermine our response to pain. Right? And I think that's, that's, that's very important. It's a bereft culture that let medical marketing overdetermine our response to pain. So what's the alternative? Well, here's the deal. If you, if you are in this society when there are so many experts and you can't be an expert on everything because, um, you know, it's, it's an advanced society. But what you can be is wise, right? You can be wise. And if you're wise, you're less likely to fall for propaganda, even if you're not an expert in that area. You'll ask better questions. I mean, I tell my kids young on, like I'm going to make my kids like read this and watch this as soon as, and watch the miniseries as soon as they're old enough for it not to, for the, to traumatize them only a little bit. I think they should be traumatized because I do not want them ever to take pills for pain um, just because 
I, I want them to have like I've I've made it pretty far without ever actually um, you know having an inappropriate relationship with pills and I I want to make sure my kids do that and you know with me right now I tell them that don't do anything that screws with your mind because your mind is the only thing that people can't take away from you it's yours um, so don't do anything that damages it's the only thing that it's yours and you need to protect it it's the most important thing you have and and I think that gets in I think that gets into them and I also tell them don't start anything that you're gonna have to quit <laughs> I feel like that's a healthy uh, um, way to go about life don't start anything that you're gonna have to quit and I, so that's good my oldest is nine they're about to get home in which case I'll cut this off when they come home because I love them I like you guys but I love them but um and my, then I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. But, but those two things I tell them, don't start things you're going to have to quit, and your mind is the most important thing, so protect that and everything else will work out. Um, and, and that's what I tell them, and I think that's the appropriate thing to tell them. And so th this whole idea that you could tie health to pay, taking a pill and like to get, away, to, to, to get rid of pain is already unhealthy. It's a problem. It's, it's, it's actually interesting because it turns out that this ran through Mormon country um, because they do what, you know, they don't drink, they don't smoke, but they also do what authorities tell them to do and authorities tell them, told them to take pills. So you got a lot of LDS who got addicted to, to opioids because uh, it came, the, the person dealing the drugs came in a white coat and had MD after their name. So what does that mean, people? What does that mean? It's, it's okay to be appropriately suspicious of authority, I think, is the first thing. Um, and there's a quality of wisdom that you need in a world full of specialists, a, a, a critical capacity to, to, to be, I don't know, just to be kind of savvy. Maybe savvy is the right word. No, but I think wisdom is good. Like, I, I, I do think people should ask questions about, like, is this addictive? Is this appropriate? What's the relationship with pain? Now, and I also think, and this is, this is something that might break a few people's hearts, but I think anxiety is the new pain, right? So what happened was Purdue Pharma told people that pain is this, pain is, a, pain is the disease. You take this to get rid of your pain, and pain, it's not about um, um, uh, becoming addicted, it's about treating the pain. And pain has been undertreated for so long that now we're going to treat the pain. And that's, once you start telling doctors that you guys have been undertreating pain, and then doctors feel like a duty to, 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 to prescribe painkillers. And these pharmaceutical reps got paid by the milligram. So, um, a lot of people made a lot of money off of the addiction. So about like our concept of, of distorting our conception of pain and what pain meant, what pain means, right? And I do think we do the same thing with anxiety. We distort people's understanding about what anxiety means. Anxiety is proper in a free society because that means you make plans and if your plans don't actually, and you're worried about your plans not happening as you've made them, you're gonna be anxious about your plans that you made. But in a free society, people have the ability to frustrate your plans, right? So there's a certain level of anxiety that's appropriate. There's also a certain level of anxiety that's the result of poorly organized politics. We could get rid of a lot of joblessness anxiety with something like a federal job guarantee. 
right? There's a lot of anxiety that is, a, is a, the result of our inadequate politics. If people are anxious about being treated like Negroes, then let's make the world a better place for Negroes. <laughs> right? If you're worried about uh, falling to the bottom and being treated like you're, a bot or you're on the bottom, then let's make the world a better place for the bottom. Let's make that a meaningful existence. Um, and so anxiety is not necessarily bad. It might be a clue that you have an underdeveloped uh, conception of an underdeveloped uh, political infrastructure that if it were developed, anxiety would go down, right? So you don't need a pill, you need better politics. But, you know, the pill manufacturers will say you need a pill. So I do worry that we've done with anxiety what the Sacklers did for pain. And a lot of people make a lot of money off of anti-anxiety medications. I will tell you that one of my good friend's brother-in-law is a pharmaceutical rep, you know, hustling doctors, marketing drugs. And you know how he got that job? You know how he got that job as a pharmaceutical rep? He got it from being a golf pro. <laughs> he was a golf pro. And he hustles uh, the doctors by taking them to the golf course and playing golf with them and you know getting them on the golf course to prescribe more medication these people make a lot of money by distorting our understanding about what pain means about what anxiety means and what these proper and what the solution is to these problems so Thank you for your time. I do hope you do think about like what's the equivalent of methadone uh, uh, or Suboxone for, for white supremacy. You want to get rid of the cravings for the people who aren't in it for the high, but who are terrified, who, but who get highly anxious about treating it like Negro, uh, getting treated like black people. I think it's going to be public policy that makes it okay to be black in the United States because then you won't be worried about being treated like one. Thank you for your time. If you like what I do, uh, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com. I just heard my kids come in. And so that means I am out. Yeah. And uh, I'm about to have a great time. Peace.